Welcome to Define You Radio. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Are you ready to unapologetically build your confidence, achieve goals, and design a life worth living? Learn the life lessons and strategies to define your life, money, and business. Pins and papers ready. Class is now in session. Well, hello and welcome to the radio. I don't know why I'm echoing. <laughs> welcome to the Find You Radio Classes and Sessions. I am your host, the Southern Belle of Bold Valencia Griffin Wallace. Well, I don't know what's going on with the effort that I get to go ahead and show. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Okay. Hey, I don't. I don't know what's going on. I got a little had a little echo going on on my end. Uh-huh. I don't know. Well, Define um, You Radio is the place for real stories, real strategies, and of course, real technical issues because this is real life. Sometimes, you know, we help you define your life, money, and business. Make sure you are connected to all things Define You including the Find You Movement, where classes and sessions seven days a week. You can find out more at www.defineuradio.com. Of course, some of you guys know if you're connected with me, we are doing an anthology through the valley. I'm really excited about that. And if you want to be an author, if you want to be part of Through the Valley, go ahead and go to ValenciaGWallace.com, click on the link that is be an author, and it'll tell you more. You can also inbox me on Facebook. This month's series, we're talking countdown to 2K18, or in other words, 2018. And tonight's session, Countdown to Healing, I'm really excited about. We have a beautiful guest, Miss Giovanna Gathers, and I'm hoping I pronounced it correctly. Perfectly. So let's <laughs> let's go ahead and welcome her to the show. Hey, welcome to Define You Radio. Thank you, Miss Valencia. I am very happy to be here. Yeah, did I pronounce your name correctly, or did I butcher it? Perfectly. I, did Perfectly. I do it right? Okay. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about you? Okay, sure. Um, thank you. I'm Giovanna Burgess-Gethers, and I am in Greenville, South Carolina. I own a private practice um, called Touchstone Counseling and Coaching, where I am a licensed psychotherapist, and I work with adolescents, adults, couples, and families, and I also have um, three therapists who work in the office with me. And uh, and and through the four of us, we see a variety of different different clients, um, and some of them see children 
as young as five. And uh, we also are in network with most major insurance companies as well as the state Medicaid plan. And in addition to that, I'm also a life coach and a, a speaker, and I am the host of my show, um, which airs on Facebook Live second and fourth Tuesdays of the month, and it's called Heart and Soul. And then I wrote a book um, recently that was well, it was published in March of 2017 called Why Am I Still Single? So I'm definitely happy to be on tonight and looking forward to this interview. Yay. Heart and Soul on Facebook Live. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, sure. Um, Heart and Soul covers a, a, a wide array of different topics. Um, we have mainly been focusing on relationships recently, and, and in particular, um, we've been talking about just how, you know, how to have better relationships, healthier relationships. I have a good mix of males and females who tune into the show and certainly share their input. It's, you know, I lay the groundwork, but it is definitely an interactive show. It's a conversation is what I call it. We talk about uh, women who may be too aggressive or, 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 you know, how to tone that down or how to just, you know, be, be more relationship ready. Uh, our last show, we talked about men who still carry emotional baggage into their relationships and, you know, how that the men could actually learn to deal and heal with their stuff before they go into a new relationship and just what some of those differences are between men and women and how we handle disappointment and heartbreak. We've also talked about, you know, fatherless sons and daddyless daughters and how that not only affects our relationships, but it also affects how um, we develop, you know, from a social perspective as well as from an emotional standpoint, uh, how important the role of fathers are in our um, social and emotional development. So we talk about a lot of different things like that. We'll be talking about Certainly, you know, some of the probably the very same topics you talk about on Define You Radio as far as, you know, people getting past no and, 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 you know, how to continue to persevere so that they can accomplish their dreams. So Heart and Soul is really just a, I guess, a, a compilation of, of a lot of different subjects that I think affect us, you know, as, as people and, and in our relationships. Mm. I'm definitely going to have to check it out, and maybe after the show, if you could um, share your last show on the Define You Radio's page, because it sounds really Absolutely. interesting. And two of the things that you said, um, everything you said stood out. Like I, I love what you're doing because you you said two things that people rarely talk about honestly. Uh, Two aggressive women, right? Because uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. a lot of times we see women say, I'm too strong for a man and all of that stuff. So what what are your thoughts on that, two aggressive women, women that are too aggressive? I'd like to hear more about that. Um, absolutely. Um, and, and in my book, Why Am I Still Single, she, she found in the chapter – called Miss Independent and, and also Superwoman. And and so when I say too aggressive, certainly I know that that is sometimes something that men say to strong women. So I'm not just talking about women who are strong. I'm a very strong woman. My mother 
was a very strong woman, and I, I have a family of very strong women. So I don't want women or men to misinterpret and think that being strong makes you aggressive. But when I say to aggressive, there are certainly sometimes I think when we as women have gotten so caught up in the independent thing that we've forgotten how to let men be men or how to even require men be men in our lives. And so we say we want a certain particular thing, but when that man shows up, we don't know how to give him the space to show up as the man. So, you know, it, 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 I talk about that from the perspective of men are not our competition. We Women don't have to prove that we're just as good as men or that we're stronger or that we can run as fast or faster that that we we are women and and that's what makes us unique and and I think sometimes that we are so busy bossing up and we're so busy proving ourselves sometimes that we almost look at men as our adversaries and so you know we go into our relationships and having something to prove and and there's I don't I just don't think that it there has to be that much adversity or um competition with men and I I speak as a woman who was very aggressive in my relationships and had to really be broken from that so that I could allow my husband to be the man. And, and when I say that, sometimes women cringe because they think that means that my husband controls me. It is quite the opposite. <laughs> you know, I always say he's the head, but trust, I run things. And so it's, it's, it's just understanding that delicate balance between, you know, um, again, him being the head of the household, but you knowing that that doesn't mean that you're second or subservient or less than, that you understand that that means you are just as strong. You just don't have to lead from the front all the time. And honestly, I feel like it has benefited me not to have to lead from the front because when I was single and I was having to do it all, I, I mean, it's it's very tiring. You know, I just don't think women, not that we are not capable, I just don't think we. It, it's good for us to have to do everything. And certainly having a mate, having a, a husband who comes in and takes his role being the man, I, I get to sit back a lot and not have to do things that before I had to do all of it. If something was wrong with the car, I had to do it. If something happened in the house, I had to check it out. I had to call someone and hope that I was getting an honest quote. I don't have to do those things anymore, and it allows me, you know, to be more emotionally nurturing to my children because I'm not having to also play that other role in, in my relationship. And and not that I can't do it because I did do it. I just don't have to anymore. And it, I know one of the things that I, I've said since I've been married, this is not my first rodeo, um, okay. but I said this is not my first marriage, but this is the first time I knew how to be a wife. This is the first time I was mm-hmm. a wife. And there's a yes. huge difference with that because, you know, I was that, I still am, but in a different way, that strong uh, woman, that single parent, take no prisoners woman and everything else to where relationships before I didn't know how to uh, be her and a wife too. Absolutely. And and that's what I mean. I had to learn that as well. You know, how do I keep my strength? How do I keep my independence? But but also allow him to, to be who he is as well and not feel threatened by that, not see him as my competitor 
or as my adversary. And I think it's a it's a very delicate balance. It's a dance that you almost have to do. But now that I've been doing it for almost 10 years, it's like, oh, no, I'm not going back to the other way. Because I just think of how, even though I did that well, I think about what that required of me and how much energy that I had to put out there. And I sleep very well at night. You know, I have a lot of peace because I know someone else is taking care of the foundational types of things. And, again, it's not like I can't do it. I have done it. I just don't have to anymore, and neither do I want to, not at this stage in my life. I'd much rather have it this way. This is a lot easier. I concur 150%. (laughs) 150%. I know growing up my uncle was – I had an uncle that was a Marine and a, and a fireman when he got out. So he taught me certain things dealing with the car, right? And so mm-hmm. I always had to say that I couldn't date a man. If I knew more about cars than you, I couldn't even date you. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I know. It was because I, I could go to the mechanic shop now and I could tell them what's, you know, what's going on or whatever just because, you know, I'm not the typical woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> so something else you said, and I know we're talking about healing tonight, but you talked about, you mentioned men's emotional baggage. And I have uh-huh. never, we always talk about women's emotional baggage yes. and everything else, but you rarely hear people address that men have emotional baggage too. So if you could please touch on that, I would love to hear a little bit about that too. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, because I am a therapist, I have a very diverse group of clients, and um, and, and, and that includes, you know, males and even black males. And, And one of the things I think I'm encouraged by is that I am having more black males coming into me for therapy and and who, you know, don't feel emasculated by their need to heal. Um, Men that come in that that will admit and say that they they used to talk down to women because that's just what they observed, you know, with their, their father or their mother's significant others, how they saw those men talking to their mom. And so they grew up thinking that that was just how you addressed women, um, men who grew up without their fathers and so just didn't have that strong role model or that positive influence, again, teaching them what does it really mean to love a woman. Some men think that loving a woman is is, is controlling her, telling her what to do, abusing her, talking down to her, not allowing her to have a, 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 a voice or or an opinion, and that's so not what it is. And and so I've got men now who are willing to say that. I don't know how to love her the way she deserves to be loved. And so they are coming in because they want to work through their stuff. And they're discovering that, like most of us, our issues, our insecurities, our shortcomings, normally a lot of those stem from our childhood. And, again, the relationships that we had with our parents or that we observed between our parents because people always think it was just an absentee parent, but sometimes it could have been our parents together, but they weren't good together, you know. And what we observed and what we witnessed wasn't a healthy demonstration of love and respect and, and, and courtesy and thoughtfulness. And so we grow up thinking that that's the norm and that's how it's supposed to be when there are other ways, you know, for for us to mate and relate. So 
I'm I'm very encouraged by that and by the number again of men that that have come on my show and and admitted you know their stuff um, that have been able to say they messed up maybe their first marriage or they had met the love of their life and they screwed it up because they weren't ready to stop going to the strip club or they weren't ready to put their boys down or or just they weren't ready to man up. And I think that that's how we heal. So I know we're talking about healing. I think that's how we heal. We first have to be willing to have the conversation and and be open and, and strong enough and adult enough to just admit that we don't have it all together, that we don't know all the answers. I think there's so much humility in that and also so much strength in that for people to be able to say that and, and, and to say it boldly and then try to figure out what do I do next. And that's what I've seen, which I think is how we began to heal our relationships, our families, our marriages, and our community. We've got to start having the conversation. We've got to start owning our stuff and stop pretending that we don't have it, especially black people. We are quick to pretend we don't have stuff, and we do. We have it just as much as any other culture and race, but we are not comfortable with that vulnerability and just admitting that we've got stuff, too. We'd rather self-medicate. We'd rather pretend. We'd rather put makeup on it and weave it in and everything else. And trust me, I wear weave, but I, 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 I wear weave. I wear my weave in my truth, not because it's a mess or it's a cover-up, but I mean, I just think it's time out, you know, it's time out for, for BS and it's time out for, for living inauthentically and, and pretending and masquerading and telling ourselves lies so that we can sleep well at night. I, I just think it's time for all of us to, to grow up, you know, and, and not only to grow up, but to heal. And to own our stuff. I love that. Absolutely. And as you were talking I was thinking about, um, you know, being able to admit we don't have it all together. And I know with me, and I'm sure a lot of the audience can relate, that's, like, hard. That's so hard. It is very hard. To to cover it up and put on a brave face. And I'm conquering the world and say, you know what? I don't have it all together. I got some stuff. There's some stuff, you know, like that's such a powerful uh, statement in itself. Yeah. So thank you. It, for, it is for Valencia, and if I could say a little bit more about that, you know, I'm Definitely. a therapist. I've been a therapist for years, and when I wrote my book, I put my truth in my book, and I knew that by doing that, I was taking off my mask. I was taking off my cape. I was taking off my covering. And and everything else, I was about to show the truth, my truth, to the world. And that was very intimidating. It was very overwhelming. But let me tell you what happened when I did that. The first day, I literally thought I was going to have a panic attack. I mean, I stood in my dining room, I looked at my husband, and I was like, what did I just do? And my husband said, you've come too far to turn back. It's out there now. Well, about two or three days later, this amazing feeling came over me, and I played on it, and I realized what that feeling was. I had been set free. I was liberated. I no longer had a fear of someone seeing me without my mask on. I no longer cared what anybody thought about me. You know, at first I felt like I'm supposed to be a therapist. How can I admit to the world that I have 
S-H-R-T as well, just like everybody else. And then in my vulnerability, I realized, who better for people to relate to than someone who's been there, someone who's walked through that, someone who's lived that and overcome it. Who do you want telling you how to get over? Who do you want helping you, you know, fight through your stuff, but someone who's already been there, someone who's fighting through that, someone who helps others fight through that on a daily basis. And you would not believe the number of people that have come to me, either inbox or walked up to me on the street and said, Thank you, because your willingness to take off your mask gave me permission to take off mine. And it's like, what an amazing feeling. And I just think that, you know, we're only afraid because we're afraid it's going to make us look less than. Only God can take away from you and elevate you. Only he could ask you to expose yourself and use that to elevate you, to promote you, to bring people to you. And that's exactly what happened to me. I I love that, and I think that people who need therapy, you know, and I'm pretty sure all of us need it in some way, shape, or form to mm-hmm. release some of our stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but if if people, if more therapists were out there and saying, "Look, I've been through X, Y, and Z," versus someone that just studied X, Y, and Z in a book, you know it may make it easier for people to sit down on the couch, so to speak, and, t- and open up because you understand. So um, that I, more therapists like that should probably be some sort of, I don't, I don't want to say a requirement, but um, I know the one time in my life I was sent to a therapist, um, it was before my mom died and it was, the, the therapist was trying to help me deal with my mom's uh, drug addiction. So the therapist, having never dealt with that area, suggested that I write down all of my feelings. And I think I was like in ninth grade or something. And I was like, what is that? How is that going to help the situation? You know, needless to say, I didn't do it and I didn't go back. Uh Um, And I don't know if that was an effective thing for them to tell me. But I felt like I wasn't being heard. I was being dealt with. Gotcha. Yeah, so, I mean, and I think that you bring up a good point. Um, one of the things I would say and that I do tell people, you know, if I go to a bad restaurant and I get bad service, um, that doesn't mean I'm never going to go out to eat again. It doesn't even mean I'm not, I'm not going to go to that restaurant again. It may mean I'm going to request a different server or I'm going to, you know, go to a one a different location if there's another location. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what happens with therapists, and I think it's because of the sensitive personal nature of what we deal with. And I certainly can't speak for all therapists. I think that because of legal issues and liabilities, that's why sometimes you won't find some therapists who are as willing as I am to kind of put it out there um, because sometimes that can get messy. Um, but for me, you know, I, I, I'm still learning how to be able to be vulnerable but knowing how far I can let that go because of what I do, you know, because some of the people that right. we do see sometimes aren't well and you can't let them know so, so much of your stuff because that can, right. people can get misconstrued and use that against you. But as far as me, I'm very picky, not picky, but 
strategic about the type of clients that I see, and and I'm I'm blessed to be in a position where I can say no. Um, this person isn't for me, and part of that is just based on my ability to feel like I can help them and whether they are also a good fit for me. So when you mentioned the drug addiction, I don't do drug addiction, and part of that is because I've never been a drug. I don't have an addiction to anything except maybe chocolate, white chocolate. And so I don't know if a client comes to me saying that they're struggling at 3 a.m., with wanting to go abuse, you know, drugs, I don't know what to say to that because I've never had that feeling. I've never had that urge. And so I always say I think you'll do better with someone who either has a family member who's gone through that or maybe someone who's personally gone through it and they're in recovery now. To me, I feel like those are the best people to sort of address those issues because they've been there. They know what that craving is like. I don't. I'm going to tell you to drink a glass of water and go to bed, you know, or, or watch something on TV till the urge goes away because I just haven't ever gone through that. So I definitely think that, you know, people do sometimes have a negative experience with therapy and they kind of write it off for forever. But, you know, uh, the field is changing. I think we, we've grown and evolved as, as therapists. There are certainly more African-American and, and, and um, minority therapists out there than probably ever before. So I would just say to anybody, if it, if it went bad the first time and you definitely feel like you need it again, give it another try. Don't stop eating out just because you had a bad meal at one restaurant. Uh, great point. Great point. <laughs> and I love the analogy you use. Um, why am I still single. Yes. Let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> for for those that don't know, why am I still single? Because y'all know I'm married. But why am I still single is a book. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about why am I still single? Yeah. Um. I started writing that book. I've I've been with my husband ten years. Um. But I started writing that book before he and I got married, and I wrote it based on where I was in life and and, and, and my own relationship struggles up until him because of a lot of the experiences that my friends were also going through. You know, we were we were all doing fairly well. We were educated. We had good jobs. We were attractive, and yet we none of us had a, a husband. You know, we had been in and out of relationships, some of them worse than others. Some may not have been bad, but they just weren't it. And and so I started doing a lot of research, and I, you know, started putting together some of the reasons why I felt some people, and, and I wrote this book for women, but some of it certainly could apply to men as well. But why why are you single? And, and you know, and the, the mission of the book or the whole focus of the book is not to get married. And in the in the beginning, in the introduction, I say this book was not written to tell every woman in America to get married, that they need to be married, that marriage is the goal in life, and that they are somehow less than if they do not get married. Because I fully respect that marriage is not for everybody. And some people may have been married and it wasn't a good experience and they feel like they'll never do it again. Or someone may have been married and they lost their spouse, you know, to death and they just have no desire to get married again. But what the book is about is that if you do want to get married, 
here are some things that you need to be clear about. And part of that is, is emotional baggage, going into marriage or going into relationships needy, you know, going in there expecting someone to rescue you or uh, to make up for what you may not have gotten from your, your parents and your father in particular. You know, I talk about those family of origin issues such as the absentee father or having mommy issues because mommy wasn't necessarily a good um, parent or a good influence. You know, mommy may not have favored us and had a different child that she favored or Mommy may have been overly critical or smothering or controlling, domineering, those types of things. And so we just didn't get to fully develop, you know, in a healthy way. So I talk about all those things as far as what can you recognize that may be causing issues in your relationship. Is it your pattern? You're, maybe you're just dating the same type of guy over and over again and you don't understand why you're dating the, the abuser, the physical abuser. You're dating the guy who doesn't want to work. You're dating the womanizer over and over again. Or you're always dating married men or men who have someone else. Look at your pattern to try to identify what is it I'm contributing to this, not as a way of saying you're at fault, but let me take responsibility. Let me own my stuff and see how I might be contributing, either if I'm doing that subconsciously, how am I possibly contributing to these patterns that keep showing up and they're not healthy. And um, and, and I, I meant to say also what sparked the book, what inspired me was that an article was published by two Yale University students that said black women, you know, tend to not get married at the same rate as white women and that 40 black women have never been married and are likely not to get married. And that's what kind of started me searching because I'm looking at myself at that time and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that includes me. You know, I'm not married. I have a master's degree. I have my own home. I have a nice car. What the heck is wrong? Why am I not married? And in doing that, I started to discover a lot of different similarities that I think some women may have. And so it's definitely not a matchmaking book. It's not meant to tell you you got to get married and something's wrong. It's really meant to say take a good look at yourself, own your stuff, and take responsibility for your own healing and wholeness. Because if you go into relationships needing someone to do that for you, then you're all, you're giving away your power, number one, and then you're you're creating a situation of dependency, and you just don't want to do that. So that's really kind of the focus of the book. And if out of that you make better decisions about your relationships, you know your worth, your value, and you, you set healthier boundaries and limits with people, then if that comes out of the book and you meet that man, great. I'm happy, but that certainly wasn't the focus of it. I wanted the title to make women curious, to pick it up, but so many women have read the book and inboxed me or come back to me saying, wait a minute, that book wasn't about being single, <laughs> and, uh, you know, or married women that have read the book and was like, oh, my gosh, I learned some things that I can apply to my marriage now, just some things I didn't know um, about relationships and relationship dynamics and that type of thing. So I think it's a very comprehensive book. You know, I talk about the angry black woman. I talk about bag lady, of course, with the emotional baggage. I talk about trust and what trust looks like and submission and what that looks like. I even talk about sex and waiting, not jumping in and, and immediately beginning a sexual relationship with people. So it's a lot of great information in there. Um, it's definitely not meant to be judgmental 
or uh, self-righteous or anything like that to say, hey, I'm married, this is what you need to do. It's meant to say if you do want to get married, maybe these are some areas that need further um, further review or further introspection. Hmm. Interesting. You hit so many points. I want to ask a question really quick, and then we'll uh, move move on. Okay. But okay. as a therapist and then in your research for this book, do you have you found that women with daddy issues and men with, quote, unquote, mommy issues have the most complicate, complicated relationship issues? Yeah, absolutely, because our mom and dad are the first people we fall in love with. And I don't mean that in a sexually deviant way, but mom is the example. You know, dad is is our hero, and and vice versa with a boy. You know, so many boys have their mother on a pedestal. I I was seeing a client recently whose mom, um, his dad was was killed prematurely, and he, he felt that his mom went into her next relationship too soon and, and that he didn't have time to really mourn the loss of his father. And so he's kind of grown up with this underlying resentment towards women that he didn't recognize. He wasn't aware of it until he started therapy. And now he's able to say, wow, I've been trying to get back at my mom all this time. I've been trying to reconcile and resolve that underlying resentment I had towards her. And and so now he's able he's actually gone to his mom and they sat down and had a conversation and he shared with her how he felt as that little eight year old boy that was going through that and, and, and he's, you know, thirty plus now, but he's been able to go back to his mom and say, This is what that did to me and I think that that takes so much courage, you know, to be willing and to be able to go and do that and for her to be able to hear that and receive it and not be defensive but just say, you know what? hey, this is what I was going through at the time, and their relationship as a result is now healing. And so now I think when he goes into his next relationship with a woman, he's going to go into it without that resentment towards women because he's now resolved that issue. So, yeah, I think that you will find, again, if you grew up in a household where your father was physically abusive to your mother, nine times out of ten you're going to choose men who are physically abusive to you. If you grow up in a household with a father who may have been physically present present, but not emotionally present, then you're going to date men who are emotionally unavailable. Um, or a father who was physically not there, you're going to maybe still find men who are emotionally unavailable or, who, or men who constantly are in and out of your life because what you're really doing is subconsciously trying to reconcile and resolve that original relationship. And and, and, and I'm not saying this is definitive. There are always going to be exceptions to anything, but, but I say this is definitely a good measuring stick for people to use. Look at the relationship you have with your parents, and if that relationship is strong and good and healthy and you got got great messages, then most likely your relationships are going to mirror that, not only with the opposite sex, but also with the same sex. But if your relationship with your parents was shaky, if it was um, unpredictable, if you couldn't really um, trust or, or you didn't feel safe to be yourself or safe to emotionally express yourself, then you're going to find a lot of those same patterns in your adult relationships. Mm. I think you just analyzed my whole life. <laughs> it, it, because I never 
uh, saw emotionally healthy and happy relationships. Didn't see it. So I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't think it existed anywhere Mm -hmm. except TV. And, uh, you know, with me, my parental issues is a whole other show. But um, (laughs) it it was hard to make me be emotionally available and emotionally open. You know, so it was easier for me not to show emotion than to open myself up to being hurt. And right. so, and I've been told that by, um, you know, people that I've dated or whatever had relationships with in the past that I'm so emotion, unemotional. I don't care about this. I don't care about that. And I didn't realize until, you know, I got older that, wow, that was really true because I really didn't, yeah. didn't quite care. Like, you know, I didn't put my stability in someone being there for me. And that mm-hmm. those that directly comes from stuff from my childhood. So I'm not going to get emotionally yeah. attached to you. So I'm already ready Absolutely. for when you leave. Hashtag amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amen. Hashtag amen, amen. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what you said definitely speaks to again how we how we just develop. It's it's not that people are always you know there's always pathology involved. Um, you know, that people have a diagnosis, that's normal development, that we're born and our parents are are, are our caregivers or those people that help us develop that sense of safety, that sense of belonging, that sense that my needs will be taken care of. So if I cry, someone's going to feed me, they're going to check on me, they're going to change my pamper. Um, And when you kind of grow up where that's unpredictable, then you're going to find that there's a lot more trust issues, you know, because you learn to sort of rely on yourself. And so you don't look to other people. You become very self-sufficient and very independent because when the caregivers who were supposed to be there to take care of your needs, when they weren't there, you know, sometimes what your mind does is it begins to compensate for that and it says, well, hey, if nobody's going to respond, then I'm just going to do it myself. And so we can sometimes Mm -hmm. go through life thinking, I don't need anybody just because I learned at an early age that when I do need people, they're not going to always be there. Or if they are, they're inconsistent. And so I can't really trust that. You know, the way that trust is built, and I talk about that in the book, even from a scientific perspective, you know, when when someone does an experiment, they look for reliability and, and validity. And when those things show up during an experiment repetitively, then we can say, yes, A causes B, or this is the effect of that. But when I reach out to someone and they're there this time but not the next time, what that does is set up a lot of insecurity in me because I want I don't know when I can reach out because this time you're there for me, this time you're not there for me. So what I learned to do is stop reaching out altogether. And that's how a lot of people develop emotional walls and, and why they can be sometimes emotionally closed off and distant and, and they don't want to put their hearts out there because when I did, when I was that infant just needing love and acceptance, and to know that I was safe and that I belonged and someone cared about me, those needs weren't met consistently or they weren't met at all. Um, and then on the flip side, when someone has that consistently, you'll notice they'll grow up with a whole lot more of a feeling of stability. They have higher self-confidence, better self-esteem. They trust easier because that foundation was laid. And so I say that just to say that anyone who may have grown up differently, not to put yourself down, 
but just to be aware of that, aware that if that's why you struggle, go back to the root of that. And if you can get back to the root and figure out, well, yeah, this was my childhood or, or this person was in and out of my life. Daddy would make promises and not deliver. He would say he was coming to get me and then not show up. And so I just don't trust people and I don't believe that people will keep their word. And so I always go into relationships guarded and questioning whether people are telling me the truth. A lot of those roots, I would venture to say 95% of what we deal with as adults had some root in our childhood. Mm. I'm... Wow. I love every, like, everything you said because it's so true. I I see it in my own life, and I had to, A, you know, admit that it was actually true when people said that I was emotionally unattached. And I had to learn, you know, I had to, you know, face some hard truths about me, and I'm glad mm-hmm. I did. Otherwise, there's no way I could be a wife right now. Right. So, and, and I think that's how you grow, and that's how how you get to teach other women to say, you know what, I did it and I didn't die. So, um, <laughs> you know, you can do it too. If I can humble myself, if I can submit myself, you can do it too. And I think, again, that's how we learn by seeing that someone else did it. And so because they did it and they survived, maybe I can do it too. And that's why it's so important for us to be willing to share our stories because you just don't know how many people are blessed and healed and helped by your willingness and your courage in sharing your story, which is why you see so many people now writing books and having shows and different things like that because we're finally starting to get it. You know, this is how I heal. That book, it put me out there. It exposed me, but it was also so critical to the next phase of my healing in my life. It it, it almost catapulted my healing on a, on a whole different level. Um, and, and I and my my awareness and my understanding has deepened to a level that I probably would have taken me ten more years to get there. That book put me there. So I would just say, you know, you don't have to tell the person in the in the line at the grocery store all your business, but if you if you genuinely feel like it's time for me to share my story, to speak on it, to write on it, even if that's just the people in your circle, find the courage within you to do that. And when people say, no, it's too hard, I, I won't survive, I always remind them, you survived it the first time. If you live through that experience, you certainly can live through telling it. If you live through living it and enduring it, you will certainly live through retelling it. Mm. You just dropping all kind of mics on tonight's show. <laughs> I love it. I, I I love it. We this should have been a two hour special. Goodness, that time <laughs> go by fast. Um, ever completely healed? I uh, I think we get better. I think we definitely get better. I think part of the journey is our constant healing, unfolding, evolving, becoming more whole. I definitely don't think our goal is perfection. I think our goal is wholeness. And I think that sometimes that can be a lifelong process. I definitely feel we can completely heal from something from the past. We can overcome daddy issues. We can overcome issues of rejection. We can face fears and overcome a fear of 
failure or a fear of stepping out there. But I think what happens is that when we clear one level, we just show the world that we're ready for the next level. And so our healing begins on a, on another level. And that's what I was sharing a few minutes ago. My healing is now on a different level than it was a year ago. And, and that level brings a whole different level of understanding with it, a whole different array of, of, of understanding and awareness and things that I'm having to face now. I, I say that it's kind of like, you know, God takes you to the edge of the cliff and, and you're maybe five feet up and he says, okay, trust me and jump. And so you're like, oh, gosh, uh, if I jump, you know, I may not die, but I'll certainly fall. But you trust him and you jump. Well, then once you get used to jumping off at five feet, he then takes you up to 12 feet and says, trust me again and jump again. And so you figure out how to get the courage to jump from 12 feet because you're like, well, I know I did it from five, but that wasn't as much of a risk. But you finally get up the courage, you trust him, and you jump from 12 feet. So he lets you get used to jumping at 12 feet. Now you're in a comfort zone, and he says, hey, if you want to grow, I need to take you on up to 20 feet. And I think that's mm. what life is. I think we go to height from level to level and from awareness to awareness. I don't think that part of our lives ever ends. I think it's just a wonderful classroom of learning and discovering and unfolding. And I'm actually happy and excited about that because I'm such a student of life that I'm just like, oh, wow, what do I get to learn next? And sometimes that's hard. It kicks my butt. But once I get through that lesson, once I jump from that next height, it's like I have a strength, a courage, an awareness, a level of confidence that is just out of this world. And then as soon as I get comfortable, he says, all right, it's time to go up again. So so I just think that's part of the journey. But there are so many people who get stuck at the five feet because they never muster up that courage to jump. And what they do is watch the rest of us as we ascend and keep jumping from higher heights, wondering what that feels like but not necessarily trusting themselves enough to do it for themselves. Everybody has the capability to jump from higher heights. Wow. I'm speechless, which is something <laughs> that rarely happens. Do you think it's because we don't trust us or we don't truly trust God? I think it's a, a combination um, I, you know, in the chapter in the book, um, something about trust, I talk about how when we think of trust and, and how we were taught about trust, trust was always involving somebody else. You know, trust our parents, trusting our teachers, trusting our friends, trusting the adults in our lives, our coaches, our piano teachers, or whoever else. None of us were really taught how to trust us. How do I trust the inner knowing that's on the inside of me? And so I found that a lot of people do not trust themselves. And so they can profess their belief, you know, that they believe that God is going to take care of them. But then when it comes down to do you trust you, that's where I think sometimes that doubt creeps in. Um, because I think God is very clear in his word about what his promises are. So we can stand on that and say, okay, God, I know exactly what you said, but why can't I do it? And I think that's when sometimes it comes down to the relationship that I have with me. Do I trust me to have the ability? Because he's already qualified me. He's already given me everything that I need to do what I've been assigned to do. So if I'm not doing that, is my trust not in him or is it an issue within me that I don't trust myself that I have what it takes for me to accomplish what I've been sent here to accomplish? So, yeah, I think that learning to trust ourselves more is critical 
I think it's a beautiful process. It's scary, um, but it can be done. And I teach people and walk them through what that process looks like all the time because I also had to walk that for myself. I didn't realize I didn't trust me. You know, and I think when you think about, when people think about not trusting themselves, I'll give a quick example. When you just say you're going into a relationship and red flags are popping up all over the place and you're so willing to believe that other person that you disregard what you're feeling, what your gut is telling you, what your intuition is screaming, and you go with them, what you've just done is distrusted you. That's exactly what you've just done. When you know that something someone is telling you doesn't sound right, it doesn't it doesn't jive well with your spirit, it doesn't feel right, but you go along with it and then it, it, it blows up in your face and you're standing there saying, oh, I never should have trusted so-and-so, what you did was not trust you because that intuition was there. And I'm not saying it's always there that we always know, but when, when our gut is telling us, when the Holy Spirit is grabbing you and pulling you, saying, don't go down that street, do not go down that street. But we overlook that because we're so willing, we're so needy and wanting to be liked and wanting to be accepted and not wanting to ruffle feathers, not wanting to make people upset that we go ahead down the street anyway because that will make them happy. And then we end up finding out that I was right all along. And you're not going to be right every time. And I tell people, trusting you doesn't mean you're always right. But trusting you is saying that when I feel like I've got all the signs there, I'd rather go with me than trust you over me. Mm. There's going to have to be a part two and three to this show. Okay. <laughs> Look, we're going to have to schedule that in 2018 because yes, we could ma'am. do a show alone on trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and then yeah. the way, because most people will, of course I trust me. But then the example you just used, I know everyone listening is like, well, hold on. Do I really mm-hmm. trust me? Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for for this. When you think about putting yourself out there, when you think about trying something new, you know, risking something, investing in yourself, do you trust you? You know, do I trust me enough to make this investment in me, to spend this money, to take this class, to sign up with this coach, to go back to school, to start this business, to write this book, to, to record this song? Do I really trust that I have what it takes? Do I really, genuinely, sincerely trust me? Mm. Everybody, class is in session. I hope you're taking notes tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We we have like 10 minutes left, and I know one of the things I definitely want to address is a day of solitude, which is very interesting. So if you can tell the audience about your day of solitude, Okay. And why do we need you yeah, you need that, especially for those of us that that pour out so much, you know, whether it's to our families, on our jobs, in our businesses, you know, with our ministries and with the work that we are called to do. When you pour out so much, if you don't have a way of replenishing, of pouring back into you, 
then you're going to eventually end up feeling very stressed, very overwhelmed, very underappreciated, and and even bitter and resentful. Um, My day of solitude, which was today, by the way, and I had a great day, my day of solitude, I'm blessed to be in a position where I run my own business, and, and, and so I gave myself Tuesdays off, and I started doing that, I think back in April, when my, it was two things. One, my sister said to me, if I ran my own business, there's no way I'd work as hard as I did, you know, or, or keep a schedule like I worked for someone else. And I was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I can give myself a day off if I want to. And then the second thing that happened was right when my book got ready to be published, literally the week that my book was released, I had the flu. I was extremely sick, and I couldn't even really enjoy it. And when I was speaking with my auntie about it, she said, you've been going so hard for months trying to get this book out. I think your body was just very run down. And I remember praying, saying, God, what do I need to do? And he said, balance. If you don't learn how to balance, then none of this matters. Because if you're so sick or so exhausted or or just overwhelmed and stressed out that you can't even enjoy the journey, then what's the purpose of the journey? And so I know that, you know, people are team no sleep and, you know, they're they're bossing up and they're wanting to work 24 hours and they think that there's some glory in that, but there's balance and wisdom. There's a reason why for every breath I intake and inhale, I exhale in equal breath. And so there's a reason why we have sleeping and waking patterns, because it's about balance. There's a reason, you know, I, I used to say this, this funny thing about the seasons, you know, um, fall doesn't fight with winter. Fall has its season and then it lets go because it's now winter's turn. But some of us want to always be in summer or always be in fall. And so there is just a natural rhythm and a natural balance that I think the universe was built on, and I think us being a part of that 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 universe, that we have to have balance as well. If I eat too many sweets, I know what's going to happen. I'm not going to look cute in none of my clothes. If I put too much salt on my food, I know what's going to happen. My blood pressure is going to go up. If I drink too many sodas, if I, um, you know, or if I don't eat. So either end of that spectrum my body is going to get thrown off balance. And so I think that our working, is it has to be in balance as well. And I know when we're doing what we love, we want to do it all the time. But even good stress is still stress because it requires mm. energy. It requires you to pour out, to use energy, even when you're doing what you love. And that energy is coming from the same body, from the same being. And so my day of solitude is my day to do nothing to pour back into me. The television doesn't come on. Every now and then I will talk to someone on the phone, but it's a very leisure conversation. Um, I may just sit in my sunroom and just sit there. Um, I have a lake in back of my house, so I may go walking back there or take the dogs for a walk. Or I might read something inspirational or listen to a podcast. But that day is my day to pour back into me. You can't pour from an empty cup. And with as much as I do, and I pour out on a daily basis with my clients, with my show, Heart and Soul, with my husband, with my children, with, with my other roles in my life as an aunt, as a sister. Um, I have to have some way to replenish me because I've been on E before, and E didn't feel good. Empty didn't feel good. So I have to replenish and pour back into myself, and my day of solitude is my day to do that. And I think, yes, we all need that, especially those of us who are givers and overachievers and 
you know, doing so many amazing things. Again, that goes back to that relationship with self. Do I love me enough? Do I trust me enough? Do I like me enough to know when to say stop? It's your time. Mm. I swear you just lived with me for like the past week. I, I swear <laughs> you was in my house the past week because you reading me, my rights are putting me in the corner as I say. Um, wow. You you are really not only helping me, but I know helping a lot of people going into 2018. We do need to healing is so many aspects of, of healing and loving ourselves and trusting ourselves and taking care of ourselves. And I know what E feels like, uh, you know, and, uh-huh. and I'm taking my day of solitude. I'm just going to be M-I-A, uh, nobody come calling, looking for me, inboxing me. I'm going to disappear. I'm in, in that, I'm going to schedule it. It's sad, but I'm, I'm going to schedule it, I promise. Because yeah. um, you just hit the nail on the head on so many levels. So going into 2018, what are some, you know, tips, maybe one or two tips you would like to leave the audience with to help us, you know, treat ourselves better, I uh, I guess would be the main thing to say going into 2018. Yeah, yeah I would say you just hit the nail on the head. Schedule that time, and if you can't afford, if you're not in a position to take a full day, then then take an hour. You know, make it a point to take an hour a week or a few hours if it's on Saturday or Sunday just for you. Speak to the people in your life and say, I need this time. And sometimes you do have to schedule it. I literally went through my calendar for the whole entire year. When I started in April, I marked out Tuesday all the way through the end of December because I wanted it plain and clear to the universe, this is my day. And I am being intentional about it. I'm being strategic about it. And I'm not taking any, I'm not apologizing for it. I'm not rationalizing or explaining it to anybody. This is what I need in order for me to stay sane <laughs> and, and to be able to give on the level that I give on, you know, on a continuous basis. So I would say know that you're worth it. Know that there, there, there's nothing to be gained by you getting to eat by you ending up on empty, by you pouring everything out of your cup to everyone else and not having anything for yourself. And, again, as you said, we talk about loving ourselves, but love is an action word. Am I showing me that love? Am I demonstrating that love that I have for me to me? Or am I just saying that because who in the heck wants to say they don't love themselves? So, yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to post it on Facebook. But am I, am I exemplifying that? Am I demonstrating it? When I look at my life, would, would I say I love me? Would, would me say, yes, yeah, she loves me, and this is the evidence of that? Because when I look at what I do for my children, for my husband, for the other people in my life, yeah, you can point it out. You can see evidence of my love. But can I see that when it comes back to me? Can I look at me and see the evidence of that same love and self-care? And I think that's the question that people can ask themselves, this is a great time of year to do that as we're going into a new year. 2018, can I look at me and see the evidence of me loving me? And if I can't, if the answer is no, how do I change that? How do I resolve it? How do I fix that 
to where my life looks more like I say it looks. You know, I don't just say I love me, but it shows up. And people can look at me from a distance and say, yeah, I see the evidence that she loves herself. And not just because you got new shoes on or a new bag. Mm. That's all I can say. We, we, You just, I don't even know. Awesome. Awesome. You, Thank you. You, you helped so many, I mean, you have helped so many people I already know uh, and me. And we definitely want to do better and treat ourselves better. So as we close out tonight's show, um, how can we get the book? How can we get in touch with you? How can we be part of your world? Okay, awesome. Well, the book is on Amazon, Borders, BarnesandNoble.com. You can also go to my website, GiovannaGethers.com, and order the book from me directly, and then I will sign it and mail it to you. You will have to pay for the book plus the, you know, the shipping, which will be less than $20. But um, in, any way, in any event, those are the ways that you can get the book. Um, also, again, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook, Giovanna Burgess Gethers. Speaker, Touchstone Counseling and Coaching has its own page. Uh, join the Breeze Group. I facilitate a women's group. We didn't get to go in detail about that, but join the Breeze Group. I do a women's retreat in May of each year in the mountains in North Carolina. It's an amazing event. You can definitely go to the Breeze Group and look at past pictures. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Simply Giovanna G. And Giovanna, of course, is G-I-O-V-A-N-N-A. So definitely would love for everybody to connect with me. And tune in to Heart and Soul, second and fourth Tuesdays of the month, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Would love to see you guys on. Yay. Well, thank you so much. I've posted the website link. And if you can share your your heart and soul on the Define You Radio page and also your okay. group. And, but, you know, I'm going to have you on again, so we'll definitely get Absolutely. to I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I, me too. I'm already excited from uh, for 2018. And this was definitely a great show as we go into um, Christmas next week for us to really yeah. think thank about, you. you know, a lot of what you said. So I just want to thank you so much and tell you welcome to the family. You, you, you've been an awesome thank guest. You. I don't know what else to say. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Thank With you, that, Valencia. Thank you. With that being said, kings and queens, make sure you connect with this awesome, awesome woman. I know I thoroughly enjoyed this show. Um, ending 2017 the right way and learning some things about myself in this journey called life. Um, Get the book, whether you're married, single, male, female, definitely connect with this lady. Pens and papers down, guys. This is officially over. Make sure you join us next week. Now, next week, Tuesday, there will be a show. It will not be live, but I promise you it will be worth it. So make sure you go to the website and connect with the show so you can catch that episode. Until next time, remember your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition, and it's up to you what you do with that. I'll see you guys in 2018. 
Thanks for listening to Define You Radio. Class is in session. Connect with the show at www.defineuradio.com. Pins and papers down. Class is over.